Welcome back, Julia. Welcome back, Sam. Hey, who are we talking to this week? This week, we are talking to my collaborator, Gordon Leary. We just got back from San Diego, where all three of us were working on the world premiere of The Loneliest Girl in the World. Cool. Should we talk about that for an hour? Yeah, that sounds good. Awesome. So, for the listeners at home, we all just got back from doing a production of a show that Gordon and Julia wrote together that I was in in San Diego. And um, my question, without like, like without it being a leading question too much, my question is like, what, what, like what stands out to you as like a salient, like, like, like what, what are you thinking about after this production? What are you thinking about about the show or about the experience? Should I to give Gordon a second to think, say briefly what the show is? Yeah. For our wide I mean, I that this, might not know this show. question is also for you too. Oh, fair. Well, man, then I have to think about it. So the show is called The Loneliest Girl in the World, and it is the story of cultural crusader Anita Bryant, who has was a Miss America runner-up and a a singer and then a spokesperson for all sorts of projects, products like Orange Juice, and then eventually sort of found her footing as an anti-gay rights activist. And this is the story of her life and the parallel story of Tom Higgins, which is the part that Sam played, um, who is who becomes the gay rights activist who pies her in the face. One of the first historical political pieings. Now everyone will know what we're talking about. Hmm. I mean, if there isn't something you've been, like, thinking about, then I can ask a different question. <laughs> well, to be perfectly honest, the main thing that we're thinking about is practical stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, because the life of a writer is, contains multitudes, uh-huh. and writing is not always, can't always be first on the list. Uh-huh. Uh, and so there's, you know, tons of following up and tons of, businessy things to take care of in the week after we close. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the main thing that I am thinking about. But I will say in the like three weeks in between, so we were there for the opening night performance up through opening weekend. So we saw about two weekends of performances then missed three, I think, and came back for the final one. Um, and in between, you know, we started writing another, a new musical because we had to, and because (laughs) it it never stops. Uh, And because we like to. And because we love to. (laughs) Yes. We had been planning on it all along. Uh, and I think the thing going back and seeing it was, um, how, what surprised me was like, the humor in the show uh and i think that that's something that often gets doesn't get overlooked but because it's political and historical and very deeply felt and very human um i think i it's easy to not think about the power of that but i was really i feel like the performances grew into this kind of comedy that we hadn't seen in the beginning and that was really exciting and that makes me want to uh think about that balance even more i mean Mm. i feel like the whole show is 
nothing but balances. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, obviously having two two protagonists is a balance. Having uh you know, the balance between feeling empathy for people that you would normally feel disdain for, but not making them too empathetic so you don't also see what they do. Uh and now this balance between uh I don't want to say humor and heart because I think the humor has heart, but like the humor and the the just humanity of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about, I think that the, t- not that the show was ever handicapped, but I feel like we've struggled in the past when talking about the show or even trying to present part of the show to sort of convey the humor, the levity, the theatricality of it. Because especially in something like a workshop where, you know, we always like to say the show is heightened six inches off the ground. And, you know, maybe this production, it was like heightened more like a foot, a foot and a half, which was great. <laughs> but I feel like, when like people are reading it or maybe seeing it at music stands where you can't do any of the theatrical stuff. Yeah. It's like they sort of just had to take our word for it. Hmm. You know, like even, I mean, a lot of the humor is obviously right there in the script, but somehow like the, I'm blanking on the word. It's not synergy and it's not alchemy where all the elements need to come together to Syzygy. fully realize. What? Syzygy. Really? Thanks, like Lisa in spelling Howell. me? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's Definitely like, it's not. like the, the alignment alignment of like the sun the earth and the moon or something oh like i love that that yeah. couldn't have been the word i was thinking of because i didn't know what it meant but oh. that is absolutely <laughs> what i meant but yeah this is the gym it. i feel like we've rarely gotten to realize and it's nice to know it's there because i feel like we would think about it and be like sort of imagine it in that place but it hadn't fully been proven out which is not to say that like any of our other workshops and productions weren't ideal because in many ways they were it's just literally having the rehearsal period and the production elements yeah. really does add that. It makes me think of this other show, We Have Something Blue, where it's a similar thing where like we feel that there's this tonal element that is sort of central to what makes the piece exciting and what it is that is not obvious on the page. Yeah. Yeah. That figuring out how to get the tone on the page. I feel like we encounter it with everything. And I think that's just a general, like, you know, when we brought a show that we think of as like our funniest show that we've ever written into a writer's group mm-hmm. and had our you know playwriting cohort reading it and it just didn't have the same the humor wasn't coming through off the page uh and i think that's such a weird because obviously you don't want to put a note at the top that's like this is funny <laughs> this has subtext find it uh-huh. um but but how do you convey that yeah I think I that's mean, the thing d- where it's uh, you have a you have to find the right director who's right. on the same page with you about the tone, and then they steer the ship with the actors. Right. Do and you I, feel like you're doing that when you work with a director that you're taking cues from them early on about what sort of tone to give them? Yeah, I do. I mean, I definitely also like draw my own conclusions from the text, but there, I guess, there have been times when I get into rehearsal and I'm like oh, I didn't fully, like, comprehend the tone that we're going for until we, like, started putting all the elements together. That's really cool. Yeah. That must be, it's such magic that directors do. Because, I mean, it seems impossible that every actor would just read the thing and come in with an identical view of, like, what we're building. Yeah. And to get everyone on the same page in a way that feels organic, but is organized and united. Yeah, it's magical. I'm just thinking about tone. 
not, I know this isn't a podcast where we talk about random theater we've seen and what we thought about it, but I just saw Fairview. Oh. Oh. Uh-huh. Which I feel like that was some like tightrope walking of tone. I, I'm seeing it in a couple weeks, so I don't really want to. So no spoilers. Yeah, so no spoilers, please. But uh, now I'm really curious. Um, I Okay, so I have a, uh, well, I have two questions. Well, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Great. I'll start with this one. Um, I, you, you mentioned how you were there for the first two weekends of performances and then skipped a few, came back and saw. So I think both of you ended up seeing 11 performances mm-hmm. each. Right. And I'm just really curious about the experience of watching your own show. Like, what does that feel like? And what does that feel like over the course of 11 performances? And like, do you ever tired of it and I'm pretty sure the answer is no so like why not (laughs) so for me no I didn't ever get tired of it I had sort of a weird crutch which is that every night except for opening first preview I knew someone in the audience Mm. so I felt like I would just always sort of watch it through what I imagined the lens of that person was Mm. and I'd always be too nervous I didn't want to sit with my people because I didn't want to be like watching their face but it was sort of, like, helpful and interesting to me just to think, like, oh, like, if the person I knew that night was, like, a screenwriter who's really, like, analytical, then I feel like that night I'd be thinking more about, like, the pace that with information comes out. Or if the person I know in the audience is, like, a music director, you know, I'd be thinking more about, like, oh, I wonder, like, if these motifs are coming through or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, I would say that watching or I always sat in the back or almost always sat in the back. Um, and a lot of that was to try and figure out the audience. Um, I mean, I know that you guys said, I feel like the experience of the audience changes the show. And this is the first time that I've really learned that. I mean, other times we've haven't been there for this many performances with this varied reaction. Yeah. Uh, or not, not reactions, varied, uh, um, sound levels yeah. <laughs> of their reactions. Yeah. To me, it was also, sorry, I'm, no, 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 will you remember ahead. your thought yeah. if I interrupt yeah. you? To me, it was also fascinating, given how different the feel was in terms of you can feel who the audience is loving and you can feel if they're an easy laugh or if they're quiet and concentrated. I actually thought it was sort of fascinating. There were certain lines that just absolutely got a laugh every single performance that I don't know if I would have predicted, like, oh, that would be our guarantee laugh line. Yeah, and I would also say, over the course of those 11 performances, I tried to learn on my own how um, hearing audiences react or not react to something doesn't mean that I should immediately go and change it. Oh, uh, yeah. I think uh, one of the big changes, so between our first weekend of performances and our opening weekend, we cut the opening song and reinstated uh what had been a long ago beginning of the show, which is where this the actual moment, historical moment, where Tommy pies throws a pie in Anita's face. Um, and in the first weekend of performances, I would I actually I think we talked about this. It felt like uh it felt like people were just loving Anita. Um and then it in the second weekend of performances, once we started with that pie throwing, people just especially the the first night that we did it, people just did not react to her for the rest of the show, mm. which is hard when she's half of the story. Um, 
and you know we do try and make her human and make her if not relatable at least like have an emotional journey that you can identify um and my first reaction was like oh god we ruined the show but it's too late and it's frozen um and then the next night it was completely different yeah um and so that was an interesting an interesting experience and i think that's the thing that kept me on my from through 11 performances yeah and just you know fallen in love with all of the people on stage and loved watching them and loved seeing all of the like little hilarious things that were brought out in the show that we never expected and all yeah. of that stuff so that makes it easy i also found it was easier for me on closing weekend i found because you know like i feel like when we're in rehearsal and when it's first happening your mind is like frantically turning around like are there things i still need to change what's not working like my job is i'm here as a writer and i feel like at a certain point you maybe get like saturated or overwhelmed with that. Uh-huh. And there were a couple things on closing weekend that I was like, oh, obviously this underscore needs to be different. So, you know, just things that it hadn't even occurred to me that were more clear with a little bit of remove. Mm. I think going back, it was, it was more clarifying than it was like, I have to rewrite this, you know. But again, that's, you know, the urgency of yeah. the first part very different from just going back and seeing your show yeah same question back to you how did it feel for a six-week run oh well actually i was gonna say like the the audiences really did feel very very drastically different sometimes and we were wondering if that was because so the the audience sat about 100 i would say i think 109 109 yeah so i think in a house that small I I feel like it's much easier for audience response to vary mm-hmm. because we would definitely notice like in a given audience there would there might be like someone who laughs very easily and very loudly and without like needing any cues from anyone around them to do it. Mm-hmm. And if there's a person like that, then the rest of the audience like feels like they've been given permission to do the same thing and then that audience becomes very vocal and very like vocally responsive. And then there are other audiences where there just isn't a person like that. And so the audience doesn't necessarily, they're all looking to each other to, to say, is it okay to respond in this way? Mm. And, um, which is, sorry to interrupt, which is funny just because you had mentioned that that was like one of the outlier things about the one performance for middle school and high school students. Yeah. But it's interesting that that carries into even an older audience. Oh yeah, for sure. I interrupted. No, yeah, yeah. We had a we had a performance that was um, for school groups for middle school, and we definitely noticed them like looking around at each other, like to see if it was okay to like be enjoying it. Um, and funny. I don't I don't know if any any of the adults are like looking around to know if it's okay to enjoy it, right. but they're definitely looking around to know if it's okay to like respond to like to demonstrate their enjoyment. I've never thought of that before, of, of like one or two audience members as being permission givers. Yeah. I wonder if a part of them knows that that's what they're doing. I've been calling them laugh leaders. Oh, I love and it. This is like my, I don't know if anyone else has used this term, but this is how I've been thinking of it in my head. They're like, they lead the laughs and then they, everyone else follows. Yeah. Um, I've also, I feel like, been in very tiny audiences where you have that person, but either because they're at odds with how everyone else feels about the material or they're just so timid oh. that that person is just alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So my my point was that 
I, I wonder if in a bigger house, if audience response would be more consistent just because there's more likely to be those laugh leaders in the house or, or whatever leaders, applause leaders. Um, Cause there were some nights that we had numbers that ended and people didn't applaud and numbers that like normally received <laughs> applause. Yeah. Right. There was one, I know I still like of the minutia that if we'd had more time, I would have changed. I would have reinstated that phone ring. After oh, the yeah. letter, I feel like that's a moment that doesn't need applause. And when we had the phone ring, they knew they didn't need to applaud. Although there was, we got applause after those letters every night except for one. Oh wow! And that threw us off completely. Yeah. <laughs> Just because we had been used to re- to receiving it. Also um, to like cover your exit and yeah. things like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's so funny. I feel like I haven't solved at all the problem of teaching people when to applaud and when not to. Hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I've been involved in things where every single song we talk about it and it's like, is this applause or is this a segue? And that's what we want from them and we cue them strongly to do it. And yeah. I sort of, it's funny to me, the sort of no man's land of like, we'll just see what they're feeling tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's difficult as an actor in the show because like the rhythm of it becomes so important to what you're doing. Yeah. And if, like, there was one night, I, I had this, like, big, like, I'm going to pie her song <laughs> that you guys added during yes. uh, late in rehearsals. <laughs> and um, That was the hook. I'm going to pie her. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pie her now. Um, so. Uh, I'm going to pie her. I'm and it's, well, for my her? character, it's this, like, her. big realization, intense moment. Like, um, what's the word? Um, Des, des, what's the word I'm looking for? Disillusion. Oh, ah. yes. Um, and so I'm like going through it. And at the end, I like make this decision and I go. And like there were a handful of nights that that number did not receive applause. And it just like tanked me for the rest oh. of the show. Because I was like, they don't care what I'm <laughs> going through. <laughs> Which like isn't necessarily true. Because I had friends in the audience at some of those performances. And I'd be like, why didn't you guys clap? And they were like, we were just like, it, we were so like it was so intense we were just like right there and we like didn't we were just waiting for what you were going to do next and i was like oh okay it just feels really different when you're up there in it yeah it's interesting too because i feel like i know that the score doesn't help because a lot of the things don't have these big sort of super final buttons and i think part of that is because the songs you know aren't super presentational they're more sort of like character driven and i almost feel like those big like and now it's done endings do like take you out of the moment a little bit mm. But I, I do feel like, yeah, like, I see what you're saying about needing something to know that they're with you. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated dance. <laughs> um, I, okay. Um, speaking of this sort of like m- musical craft, I have a specific question for you guys okay. that I'm really curious about. And I, it's, it's a question about a specific song, but I'm curious about it, like in general. So. There's a song in the show that's a trio with Anita and Tommy's mom and Tommy. And it's sort of like Anita starts and she has her musical thing. And then the mom sings her musical thing. And then Tommy sings his musical thing. And then they all sort of sing together. And I guess I'm just, and, and the, you know, the, the musical lines sort of weave together, but they're still their own things. And I guess I'm wondering like, how do you, how do, 
if you're if there are two of you writing this song like how does an idea like that come together like does it start with gordon saying like they're all going to sing their own things and julia and then julia goes oh, okay well i guess i have to figure out how the music goes together or does gordon just write whatever and then julia's like well what if they sing at the same time you know what i mean I, so Gordon is really our big idea man. I feel like almost any time where someone's like, that's a cool musical moment, it's because Gordon put on the page exactly what the moment is, and then I execute it, which is great. Okay. <laughs> well, except, I mean, for that moment, we specifically were like, because it used to be, it was a moment, it, or the dramatic action of that song used to be split into two, and there was... Anita singing a pop song and Tommy and his mother singing another song. And we felt like uh, there was an opportunity for interplay between the two worlds. Um, So it really, it did start as this is Anita's sound or, you know, the idea was this is a pop song. So it was, I mean, it wasn't, we did come at it with the understanding that that was what it was going to be, that uh-huh. it was going to be within this like shell of that fifties duopy, whatever. Yeah. And I feel like um, with, like, I think we might have to, we probably, I'm sure we talked about it first, but then I think, you know, on the page, it probably said something like Anita hums over K. Uh-huh. And then since K's lyrics don't scan the same, right? you know that you're in a different melody. <laughs> <laughs> But their choruses scan the same. Yeah, no, their choruses do. I mean, oh, that's it's... true. I mean, I think it said echoing, yeah. probably. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Since they don't sing the same words, but they yeah, scan not the same. don't scan the same out of like I guess you couldn't fit into that rhyme scheme, <laughs> but like just that that's like a very clear clue. This is a different, intentionally a different section. Right. And so, did you have that in mind? Like, well, when you wrote the lyrics for the ending, when they're all singing together, were they? Was it like? you know, lyrics side by side, so they're all singing these different lyrics at the same time, or was that? Yeah, okay. it was. Yeah, it was every word that's side. in there okay. was on the page. Okay, great. But it was also, again, it was because dramatically, it was they were reacting to the emotion from Anita's song. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a whole thought and forgot what it was. But, yeah. Cool. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, I was just... I was I would just sit there every night and like wonder about this. Um, be, I mean, because you know, in real life, like people aren't just talking over each other all the time, or I guess some people are, but but not not like, here, not like that. Um, and so it's I don't know. It seemed uh, I guess it happens a lot, but I'm I'm always just curious, like how that comes about. Well, and I think the three of them in that moment are all in their own world. They're not singing it to one another. Yeah. Uh, but they're all in the same emotional place, so yeah. you can have that uh, elision. Is that a word? Mm. Elision, elied. You can, you can. I don't know. <laughs> you, they can all sing together, and you can. Un, you don't have to hear all of the words. You yeah. know what they're saying, right. and mm-hmm. if a, a word pops out here, because you your character match words with people, right? In that, yeah. I thought about that too, and that house, the the theater is wide, and I would always wonder, I felt like there was a side that just felt a little bit like, oh, this is Tommy's side, and this is Anita's side of the theater, and I always wondered if weird people were sitting, affected at all, who they were like, oh, vibing with. 
like obviously everyone's on both sides a lot. Like a wedding? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm with the, the cultural crusader. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> so my question for you, coming out of this production, was about the idea of like letting go as a writer. Like I feel like in the process of rehearsal, text, previews, opening, and then there's a whole world of like subsequent productions that like, you know, the first couple of weeks of rehearsal, you're like talking all the time and explaining what you're thinking and like piping up about like, mm, actually that's enough sharp. And I think I held out longer for like the amount of time I thought it was still appropriate to be like raising my hands and saying things. But like eventually there was a time when like both of us, that role was sort of done, done. And for me, I found it so hard not to, even when we were back for closing weekend, I still had a couple thoughts of like, I don't know, like maybe we do want to tweak this tempo, but just like that time was over. Right, right. <laughs> I'm curious if you have any Zen wisdom on like the process of like, it's supposed to leave your hands. Uh, I think it's less Zen than practical that like for for our mental, like, you know, obviously for the actor's health and sanity. And then for the pushback of putting something in and then not having it work the right way. Um, yeah, I think it was just purely practical. Um, and, but I do, I think we were always able to say, you know, we had a great relationship with the artistic team. So we were able to say to the director, Things like, this isn't exactly what we imagined, but that's fine. Yeah. Or, or this is what we want, but in this instance, we understand that that's not what's working. Um, yeah, it's so weird. The idea of freezing it is so weird, yeah. especially, especially in a new thing, because everything is up for grabs, basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, so there is no... You know, I would think when you're doing a published show and you're just saying, I, I don't know, not to take away from that, but it, it is, um, there's a point where it can't be about the writers anymore. Which for me was sort of just like a crazy realization that I don't know if I had had so concretely before. Because I feel like when you're doing something like 29 hour reading or like, you know, just a table read, it really is like, all of our purpose here is to show the writers something they're interested in seeing. And I sort of needed to train my brain that that's not the purpose of a production. Mm. Yeah. Readjusting my brain from reading mode to per per performance mm -hmm. production mode. That was the thing that was trickiest for me. Did you guys have any like sort of things that surprised you about transitioning from workshop to production? Because I did. Tell about yours. Well, it was mostly about like what you were saying earlier is like there are certain things you just can't do in a reading mm -hmm. that, you know, you anticipate will be clear and great in a production. But in the meantime, as an actor in a reading, I still have to make it work in the reading. And so like the, the thing that the thing for me was particularly sing me the songs, which is mm -hmm. like Tommy sings a song about how um, how much he needs Anita to show him how to be the kind of person that he is and he thinks he imagines that she's teaching him 
um, and and there for him, and and it's this wonderful relationship, even though they've never met, whatever. Um, and in, on stage, she comes out and she's dancing with me and she's guiding me, and it's great. But in all of the um, workshops when I've sung that song, it's just been me at a music stand without anyone to bounce any energy off of. And so in my head, performing that song felt very, very different alone than it did with another mm-hmm. body. And that was like the trickiest adjustment for me was like, oh, we can tell a story with the staging that isn't necessarily the story that I spent so long making sure I understood with the lyrics since that's all I had when I was performing it at a music stand. Things like that. That, that was, I mean, I sort of, I always knew that that was the goal of, of how it would be in a production, but I didn't understand how difficult it would be for me to, to transition my head. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Did you guys have any surprises like that or just anything going from workshop to production? Yeah, for me, it was almost all positive, you know, in terms of seeing all the production elements and the, the elements of being on our feet. It was sort of, for me, it was almost just like an admiration of the, like, it felt like at every moment that people were in front stage, they were like frantically changing costumes or like yeah. getting this prop over here. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we were at almost full capacity for like humans and tasks, <laughs> which I just hadn't thought about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we, I always joke at least that like I will write things and then think, oh, well, that's up to other people to figure out. But <laughs> now I feel a little guilty about that. <laughs> I was talking to Isaac, our assistant stage manager, and he was saying that that is sort of like one of the things he likes about working on new work is that like if a show's been done before, you know that the thing that's being asked is physically possible. Someone <laughs> figured it out. And if you really can't figure it out, you can research and find out how they did it. But with this, like, there's no guarantee that like, the thing will work, period. Wow. That a quick change is possible. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Hmm. Um, so I have a question. Yes. It might be, let me know if you guys want to talk about it or not. Okay. Did you guys read the reviews? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. How did you, how did you, like, did you, did you find reading them valuable? Yes, I think. Uh-huh. Well, I want to. Did you read the reviews? I now did. that we're done? Okay. I had a whole journey. Oh my gosh. I don't. So I think I've read about four or five. I actually, Gordon has this amazing like Google Doc with all the reviews, uh-huh. which I made him share with me, but now all I haven't even I read found. them all yet. I found 10. That sounds about right. Uh, I would say that my, my biggest surprise for reading the reviews was some of the things that were said in a negative light that I was like, well, that's actually what we were going for. So thanks for noticing. Yeah. And maybe, so then it really is just a matter of taste as opposed to like, like there, there was a review that said, um, that talked about the lyrics being very simple to the, on the verge of simplistic. And I was like, at first I was like, oh no, that's so terrible to say. But then I was like, but that's actually, that's like, a hallmark of what I go for is not super rhymy, not super like intricate wordplay because my number one goal is like emotional honesty and humanity. Uh Uh, So when I was able to like reframe that, that was, 
interesting. And similar, yeah. I feel like the same review, I forget what yeah, it said. Yeah, that was the one review. Maybe there's more, but I think there was only one review I read that really explicitly did not like the music, which I think was that one. And I think, yeah, part of what they didn't, it was actually a little bit hard for me to really parse down exactly what they were saying. Yeah. <laughs> Although the sentiment was clear. But I, another thing I thought was funny, I'm like obviously too defensive about this part, but like the <laughs> review, they were saying they wanted more differentiation between Anita's music and Tommy's music. And then they proceeded to say what I thought I had done. They were like, like, for example, I think Anita's music should be more like gospel and Tommy's music should be a little more complex or more rock. And or gospel and pop. It was the exact things that I that I that I had thought I had done. Mm. And I thought it was curious that the things I thought I had done that they thought I hadn't were like the exact way that it just occurred to them it should be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you so so reading these things, like do you find hearing these things valuable, like moving forward? To me, I think the one thing that's valuable is seeing things that show up in all the reviews. Mm. Like almost all of them said something about treating all the characters with empathy, which is good because I feel like that is one of the key things we want to do. Almost all of them said something about they, they thought it was too long, which I don't know if that's really valuable or not, but it, it's interesting that so many said it. Yeah. Well, what was interesting is that in our playbill, it said it was running about two hours and 10 minutes, which was just never true. <laughs> so it might have primed people. It actually was true. We got, we got performance reports and it, the first act was always 110 and the second act was always an hour. It's just intermission would run long because of bathroom lines oh. and it wouldn't start right on time. So it would get out at like 1035 yeah. or 1040. Uh, and it never was. The show never ran longer yeah. than that once we opened. Uh, oh, so it was saying two hours, 10, excluding intermission apparently? and starting late. Oh, OK. I don't know. Interesting. Or they would say 220. But that that idea of too long, yeah, has haunted me a little <laughs> bit. I mean, I am someone who we certainly have shows that are ninety minutes, no intermission, for the stories that require that. But not all stories require that. Yeah, I remember going to see the the revival of King and I, and walking out of the first act, and it had been over ninety minutes, mm -hmm. and I was like, "This is one of the great pieces of American musical theater." And everyone expects musicals to only last as long as this first act. Mm. And like no one was bored during King and I. It's not like it's moves at a fast pace. There, are, It's not full of songs. Like it's a classic American mu book musical. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and so I was. I mean, obviously, we want to make sure that the pace is right and that there aren't times where the energy lags. Uh, or where people get bored but I think the arbitrary th idea of like this is how long a musical should be is, is is like a new thing that I'm bumping up against yeah. because like a musical should be as long as it takes to tell the story yeah yeah and I always um, think about giant like right I I the version I saw was about three hours and I was like I think this needed another hour <laughs> and I saw that one yeah, with four I, hours I, and I wish I had perfection yeah and I feel like we definitely haven't gotten really any specific feedback or certainly not consistent feedback about, like, something that people don't want to see. Right. Hmm. Right. Like, it's not like everyone was like, if you just cut that mother subplot, you know, then I'd be, oh. then it'd be lean and mean. Yeah. 
Well, that's so my my I had a journey with these reviews. Okay, tell so us like the your first journey. one I read was like extremely positive about the show. Mm-hmm. Um, except the only negative things in the review were about me or my character, <sighs> and I like took that pretty rough at first, and then. I don't know. As I read more of the reviews and different people had all of these different things to say, I was just like, oh, right. That's just one person's opinion. And then as I read some of the other reviews and there were just like factually incorrect things mm-hmm. in them. Timmy as opposed to Tommy. <laughs> I think it was one? Tony. Oh, there was. I, no. saw, I saw a Tony. Um, <laughs> and there was also one where it was like, um, you know, Marcy is great as Anita's sister, Kay. Yeah. Oh, and then boy. like. Yeah, there was Which, some other thing like that, um, and I was that that made it easier for me to be like, oh right, they're just people, right, and their their opinions are not any more or less valid than anyone else's, and it was also nice because I realized that I was really proud of what I was doing, and their reviews didn't like take anything away from that, so that was a nice thing to realize, and then after that it was like just rolled off my back. And for the record, almost everything I read about you and your performance was positive. Yeah, just not that first one I read. Mm. <laughs> I mean, there were it was it was wild because there were positive things about me in that mm. review too, <laughs> but there were also negative things. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that they said about the show that they thought might need some tooling was like about was just a fundamental thing about my character. Which was... They didn't believe, like, would Tommy really have been so obsessed with? Which just felt very personal. (laughs) That's so interesting. I don't know if I've even... Because I remember that review, too. I don't know if I would have thought to relate that to your performance. But now that you say that, I understand because that's what you're telling. Yeah. Yeah. And there there was another review that um, they said, they said, I made the character nerdy and intense. Which, like, is, yeah, that's what I was doing. But I never had thought of it as, like, I was making it that way. I was just, like, taking what was on the page and doing it. So. That that is interesting. There were times where. uh, And it wasn't like I never felt like, you know, uh, the shine was taken off me as a writer. But some of the things that were like glowing about some of the actors i was like well that is how it's written yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. uh but again i feel like my big takeaway from or not again because this is the first time i'm saying this my big takeaway from like the reviews as a whole was that the story we were telling was clear yeah Mm -hmm. and as people were recounting things even if they got little pieces of information wrong um People understood, like when the review said, you know, the the pie he throws in Anita's face is almost like uh, uh, tough love. Yeah, a projectile of tough love or something. I was like, yes, they understood our musical. Yeah. I and- also love that line about Anita spritzing intolerance like perfume or something. There was a couple nice oh. <laughs> interpretations. I've now butchered. Um. Yeah, I feel like this was more of a, you know, the one time that we've had reviews in the past, we had, I think there were two, and one was glowing and one was, like, horrible. Oh. Um, I want to find so, these, because I honestly, I would think that I would, like, remember those to the grave, and I don't remember either of them. Well, that's, I think that's nice. 
Yeah. Yeah. I remember the horrible one just referenced some obscure musical that even I don't know. Like, and that's, the, uh, it was, this is unimportant, but I feel like I need to say it. Uh, it was, they were referred to, what it was like Alice Platon's breakout role. Henry Sweet Henry? Yes. Oh. It refer, it compared our show to Henry Sweet Henry, which Pregnancy Pact has very little, if nothing, to do with Henry <laughs> Sweet Henry, mm. other than me apparently also having a woman who you think is is like mean and then get sympathy from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sounds more like Little yeah. Girl still. <laughs> yeah. And it just, yeah, I feel like having had that experience of like very hot and very cold yeah. mm-hmm. this time when I would say across the board, things were pretty positive. Yeah. Uh, even some of the reviews that didn't, that had some issues with the writing, it sa- said great things about the production. Uh, you know, I think it, it made it more interesting to read things that were a little more not thought out. Cause I, yeah. Anyway. I thought it was funny also. The review that I feel like was the most euphoric about the production was also the most poorly written. And I kept wanting to pull quote from it. And I was like, there's no sentence that quite makes sense in written <laughs> English that I can't even pull. Hmm. Yeah. The other thing, my thing, like your thing about performances was I liked this. And it was a group of people that I thought, obviously, I owe infinite credit and debt and did put specific marks on but i thought it was weird how they said it was that they were like patrick marion who's our amazing musical director like patrick marion's four-piece band added a spare style to julia's score i was like sort of makes it sound like i didn't do the orchestrations <laughs> mm, that Even spare style is your score right yeah. yeah and like i know what they meant and what they meant is true this is that they played wonderfully and deeply musically and obviously had I just felt like it made it look like I didn't do the orchestration. Yeah, it is. It was after having invested so much of myself and watching you guys invest so much of yourselves in the rehearsal process and feeling so proud of the work that we were presenting and also just having my own opinions about what we were doing. It was just interesting to see how these people took those things mm-hmm. in ways that I was not expecting sometimes and and they're still enjoying it but right. like it, there were many things that that they were that they said and it was like yes that's exactly what we we're trying to do and then there were also other things that it was like oh okay well i'm i'm glad that you enjoyed it but that's not exactly what we were trying to do interesting like what i i can't remember anything specifically off the top of my head because you did talk to certain people after the show right like when yeah. you yeah the cool, the coolest thing about talking to people after this show was that instead of coming up and say and saying things like "good job" or like "that was great" or like "I loved it," they would come up and say like "thank you, thank you for telling that story," which has never happened to me before, and that was it. It made it feel like what we were doing was important in a way that you don't always necessarily feel when you're, you know, in a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people would come up and and just tell me how much they responded to the story and how deeply felt it was. My my boyfriend told me I haven't told you this yet. My boyfriend told me that like Tommy's like um, 
fascination and idolization of Anita reminded him of when he was growing up idolizing Gloria Stefan. <gasps> there was this like very he he was relating to every bit of that Amazing. of I love that, that. Idoli- idolization. Did you like it? We haven't like talked about it. Yeah, yet. he loved it. Yeah. My favorite game that you invented and clued me into was watching what people were like Wikipediaing on their phones in intermission. Oh, how many Anitas versus how many Marianne Mobleys? <laughs> <laughs> but that's my other, the my favorite stories. Like, yes, I love telling people that we got good reviews, the reviews that were good. Uh, but coming back, I feel like the stories that I told were the fact that. Was it at the last performance somebody came up to you and said that they had known Tom Higgins socially? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to butcher the story. So do you want to tell the oh, story? That, he he didn't know him very well, but he had he grew up in Minneapolis and he remembered seeing him around at the gay bars and um he mentioned someone else who was who had who ran one of the um like gay publications with him, who he knew better. Um, and at the performance before that, someone came who had known Marianne Mobley right. yeah. and was wow. talking to Lauren about her. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I always, influence. I'm a broken record on this, but I always do wish. I think the script is so cool how accurate it is. And even the production designs, you know, like Anita in the hospital bed with the same kerchief that we have a picture of her in from the hospital. And like, I think those details, it's so neat that they're real. I wish there was a way for people to know yeah. how accurate some of that stuff was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think, yes, it's, it's cool to communicate that, but I also think it lends itself to making the story feel more real and human. Mm. I mean, obviously some of the quotes that Anita had, I mean, since the second act are, chock full of Anita Bryant wonderful horrible quotes about comparing gay people to garbage and people who love St. Bernard's etc uh and a weird dig against nail biters yeah is that a thing is nail biting really bad I don't know is is it a sin I that would be such you're a asking waste the of wrong that would be person. a strange oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh but I mean I think some of those those things are like so out there and crazy yeah. that she says but i mean there are things that people remember and I, there were certainly aud- audience members tangential uh but there were certainly audience members who we heard at intermission being like i lived through this once i don't want to have to hear all of the horrible things that anita bryant said again and i totally like people are welcome to have that experience and i think i think one of the cool things for us was hearing, both hearing ourselves and hearing people relate to us bathroom conversations that they overheard at intermission. Uh-huh. Oh, I love that. Uh, was that people did have different experiences and take different things from it and like pose their own questions from it. And I think that's maybe our number one goal in everything we write, but certainly in this show is like, we are not here to pose a question and give you the answer. We are here. We're barely here to pose a question. Like we're here to tell a story that makes other people want to find out answers beyond that. And that's why we tackle some of the subjects that we tackle uh, is because we genuinely want to know. And, but we don't think that 
in spending four years writing a musical about it that makes us experts or have a definitive answer. Uh, and so that was really rewarding to have people say, oh, this made me think about think about empathy differently or think about how I have to listen to people who have opposing viewpoints differently. Uh, because it's not a thing that we say Anita was terrible and Tommy was right for, to do what he did. It's not a thing that we say Anita deserves sympathy because she was just humid and we should, she should be forgiven. Uh, it's a thing that, and I, I think that that can make some audience members uncomfortable, but I, I think by and large the audience in San Diego really took that to heart and felt, it felt like they were grappling with it and not, uh, they they weren't coming hungry for like an entertainment, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, which was really nice and exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting too. When we were out in San Diego, we were sort of you know trying to learn about like the theater scene there, and we talked to a couple people at you know at the Old Globe or at La Jolla Playhouse about just like who their audience is, and it's still something I'm so interested in this idea that like every theater has its own audience, and like that audience has certain desires and things they want to see, and it's. I feel like I always think about this one sort of like everyman platonic audience member, mm. which does not seem to be the case. And then I was at this opera conference a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about all this community outreach stuff. And like that, like, like one person we talked to in San Diego talked a little bit about like teaching their audience things. And like, you know, there's a play well produced and like we know it won't sell well, but we sort of want to teach our audience to watch this kind of thing. And like, if that's a good thing to do, I mean, I feel like, I, I like hearing people say that because I'm like, yeah, teach them to watch my show and then like program my show. <laughs> but like hearing opera directors talk about like going to the community and sort of like trying to crowdsource like what stories are you interested in telling than like, you know, telling, you know, supposedly like the story that the community has asked you for and just all the different approaches to giving people what they want or what they think they want or what they should want. Yeah. And so I, I feel like it was the same conversation in San Diego. So, um, someone we were talking to said that San Diego audiences are driven by heart and New York audiences are driven by their, by intellect, hmm. uh, which is an interesting thing that I've never thought about yeah, uh, that, you know, a show that does really well in San Diego at La Jolla Playhouse and then comes to New York and flops. It's not, you know, it really can be a thing that like audiences are after different things yeah. in different places. The wonders of, of theatrical regions, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, can we shift gears yeah. a bit? I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I've never asked you guys. I mean, because you guys went to grad school together. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's how you met. Yes. But in grad school, you, you guys didn't write your theses together. We did not. So, and in grad school, you sort of like work with everyone and... Right. So how did you guys end up becoming such a, I mean, like it's uh, from, from where I'm sitting, it's like you guys are a perfect fit for each other writing wise. And I'm just curious, like how that, how it, how it, how you guys landed together like this. Well, we wrote our second assignment of first year together. So you write an AABA song and then you write a verse chorus song and we wrote our verse chorus song together. Um, and it was great. It was a song that 
people saying after we left and all that stuff. I like that song. I remember yeah. really clearly that in, you know, we'd all seen one assignment worth of work from each other. And our friend and wonderful composer, Arby Srinivasan, wrote this amazing song with all these melismas. So when we got to your time, I was like, there's going to be melismas everywhere. <laughs> and I'm sure Gordon loved that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> melismas on the word love. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we, because you have to talk to everybody in your class. And so we talked and we had a good talk and we had ideas that we were both excited about writing about, including one that we are working on now, mm-hmm. finally, um, 12 years later. Uh, but we weren't matched up together. Um, it's a whole process where they, you submit this like horrifying document where you literally rank everyone in your class and like write a paragraph about <laughs> if like why you do or don't want to work with them. And then I always think it must be fun for the faculty to like, wait, get this is when you're leaving school. This is between your first and second years. Oh yeah. For the thesis. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but we were not matched. We were not matched. But did but you we, guys try to match each other? Is that what you're saying? Well, we were both on each other's lists. Okay. But it's like, you know. There the are whole... other considerations. Yeah. 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 Um, and then it was about a year afterwards. We had written one or two songs together. Um, I feel like I had a cabaret like a year after we graduated and I wanted some more songs, but I included our song that we had done, that we had written in in class. And we wrote a song in like a week. And then we wrote another song right, in like a I week. I had a cabaret. That, it was a Cornelia Street Cafe and it was a science theme thing. Oh, so yeah. we wrote Snow Blind because I was like, I need like water, water themed songs. Um, and then a friend of mine was directing, had a, an opportunity to direct a new project. And it was like four short musicals for um, Prospect Theater Company. Uh, and he asked me if I wanted to write something and I was just coming off right finishing another show because I went back and wrote as an alum at NYU uh, and we had like four weeks six weeks to write a what I wound up being like, like a 45 yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a long short musical and like sung through yeah it was intense uh, but we think- had written oh sorry go ahead. I was just thinking as a total tangent when I think about opera versus musical theater classifications that in some ways that's one of our more like quote unquote operatic Absolutely. things. Anyway, go on. Uh, so I was like, who can I write quickly with? Well, how about Julia? Uh, and that was 2008. Yeah. Yeah. March of 2008. Um, and I feel like it was as we were writing that or right after we were writing that the article came out in Time Magazine about the pregnancy pact mm. at, in Massachusetts. And I like brought it and was like, this is a thing that would be a fun musical. And we were in rehearsal and tech and everything. Uh, And then we started writing that that summer, I think. And then also we applied for the Drama Guild Fellowship and got it with that show. So then we had this built in year to write that show. Mm. And I also feel like something just in terms of like timelines converging right around that time was when... I had this conversation with a dear friend of mine and we were talking about like styles of music. And he was like, it's so interesting to me that you listen almost exclusively to pop and rock and the music you write doesn't sound like that at all. I was like, hmm, that is interesting. So I feel like it was this beautiful like coming together of that show, which felt so clearly like it wanted to have 
element of pop and rock just when I was thinking, like, that's sort of the way I'm interested in writing. And then I had a good time writing it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just, like, then you get identified as a team and yeah. people invite you to do things as a team. And uh-huh. uh, we are lucky that we like writing together and do yeah. think that our what we go for meshes. Yeah. Um, I think that's definitely. And what we're interested in aligns. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, every time I have an idea that I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know if anyone's going to like this, I email <laughs> Julia and she's like, sounds great. <laughs> I do like them. <laughs> do you like being identified as a team? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like last name team names. Oh, <laughs> so I don't like being Leary and Meinwald or Meinwald and Leary. I like. Being Julia and Gordon, or Gordon uh-huh. and Julia, depending on who's signing the email. <laughs> <laughs> or depending on if it's a URL, having the A next yes. to the A. Oh, yeah. yeah. Our website is Gordon. is Gordon and Julia, so uh-huh. there aren't two A's in a row. But then when you look at the header on the website, it says Julia and Gordon with an ampersand. Uh-huh. <laughs> we very much like equity. <laughs> very, yeah, very well thought out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think writing together in some ways has helped me even like clue into or lean into what I now think of as like the things I'm most proud of in my own writing. Yeah. Like I feel like the idea of being, I don't think I would have ever thought to call my songwriting emotion, emotion driven before we started writing together. But now maybe because of, you know, like us writing together, I do feel like that's the way I write. I'm like, I like writing that way. Yeah. And I feel like I have more freedom to, like, play with, not with form necessarily, because we both really like form, Mm -hmm. but, like, do weirder things, because I feel like Julia is always up for the challenge. And some of my favorite songs that Julia has written without me are things that are less formed. Oh, fun. I was trying. Oh. (laughs) I'm impressed with you. Uh, I don't know if you know that song. I don't think Tell so. us the title. Oh, you would be so great on that song. It's called Crossing. Great. I wrote it with Rachel Jett in school. Uh-huh. It's a wonderful song. Cool. Um, I am looking for new reps. <gasps> great. Wouldn't uh, it be good on that song? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> would it be good in an audition setting? Just a bunch of tempo changes. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't think a, an audition accompanist will appreciate that i feel like like most of the songs that i do like the the shows that i work on that have songs that i could take out of context it's it's just i don't want to put down in front of someone who's seeing it for the first time Mm -hmm. yeah understandable yeah did we answer that question yeah and now we've been writing together for over 10 years yeah we had our 10-year collaboratory in march Mm -hmm. march 6th or 8th that sounds right and we were at our page seventy three writers group for the big day. Presenting so material. Uh huh. We love some writers groups. Except I feel like we've burned through almost all of them at this <laughs> <Not> point. <true. laughs> Don't say it. Oh, how are we ever going to write musicals without external deadlines? If we have to, we'll go back. We'll form reds only, purples only. <laughs> yes. Do you? Do you? Uh, that's interesting. Like, do you feel like I was thinking about this? Like. As a as a writer or as writers, you're just like creating something and there's no like, you know, as an actor, I'm like, 
interpreting a piece of work so I know that there's someone else in the world who like wants to get behind it. Yeah. So when you guys are embarking on a new project, do you, like does the writers is that a big reason of why the writers group is so helpful? Is like there's like this support team built in? Yeah. Yeah. Uh definitely. I mean, I feel like we use writers groups and think of writers groups as not only the deadlines, but like a reason to start something new. Mm. Um, we had a whole string of writers groups that had us starting lots and lots and lots of new musicals in the last few years, uh, which is exciting. Um, and we don't always get to finish them in that time period. But eventually we do. But eventually we do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I say never actually have we finished a show, with except for except for in the same writers group we started it in. Well, we did a full draft and had a reading of now the loneliest oh, girl true. in the world, formerly right. known as Pied. Uh, because that one but was, that two was years. a two-year thing. Yeah, yeah, musicals take a long time, and nine months of a writers group doesn't usually allow for it. Yeah, but I do think that being in a writers group makes me at least like. Was it two weeks ago, two and a half yeah. weeks ago, when we shared the first 12 pages of a new musical that, like, I would have put off writing anything from it for another six months, but I had to, and it was it was torturous, and it was horrible, and I hated every minute of hearing it read because <laughs> I, you know, was so unsure about everything about it because I had written it in, like, 36 hours before that group. Uh, that group meeting, but um, now we started it and yeah. we heard people respond to it and heard what was interesting to them. And I mean, you know, when you do something in a group of writers, you're not getting, you're getting the perspective of people who know exactly where you are and what you need or what could be useful and how to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and as a group goes on, people who like know what your deal is and what sort of stuff you're interested in and like, Put it in the context of like other work of yours, which is just nice. Yeah. Cool. And so, okay, my uh, my last question. I feel like I'm. I this is pretty common, I would say, but I feel like you guys especially have sort of like a stable of actors, like go to actors. Yeah. Was that like by design, or was it like a happy accident? Like, what is what is it? What is it? What's that about? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think purely from a musical perspective, since some of our stuff is technically really difficult, uh -huh. once we find someone who can really nail that side of it, it's like we never want to let go mm. of them. But it's also, I mean, you have a certain vocal quality that you look for, um, and not every voice is like perfectly suited for your writing. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it people who sound good on it but also people who like I really like actors who want to engage in the things that we the stories that we want to tell uh -huh. we were just having a wonderful email conversation with one of our the actresses in our in our stable the wonderful Allison Posner mm -hmm. uh, where we were saying like when we find an actor and a singer who is curious and human and like isn't afraid to get to go to strange places and all of that uh those are the people that we like see in the world that we create 
uh, and those are the people that we want to then create things with and for. And also in a way just that like, I think we are both people person, people people, and there is something like just very personal about working on a show with someone and I feel like you do feel like you feel close to people after you have this experience of making something with them and like I don't know once that relationship is there that like feels meaningful yeah yeah cool as long as you're on the same coast <laughs> yeah I'm feeling sad about our friends in San Diego I yeah. know, missing I them. them yeah that's I was okay they're all on to their next projects anyway. I know. <laughs> they forgot about us. 